In our next installment of this uh, series, Spirit of the Antichrist, The Gathering Cloud of Deception, we're going to get into false flags, eugenics, and the Luciferian agenda. And we've talked a lot about the Luciferian agenda. And I had someone uh, email me recently and ask, you know, where does that name come from? Uh, well, of course, if you go back to the first few videos in this series, we talked about the, the genesis of that name, went back into the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 14, and talked about Satan and his fall from heaven, as it's described there by the prophet. And uh, so that is basically the name of Satan, Lucifer. And through the years, Satan's co-conspirators on earth over the centuries and millennia since he was kicked out of heaven have uh, conspired with him, as we're going to continue to talk about, uh, to take over the world. And so when we use the phrase Luciferian agenda, we're talking about something that is ultimately satanic. Of course, as I've mentioned and as we described in the video in which we diagrammed and uh, explained the Luciferian agenda in more detail, uh, not everybody involved in this uh, agenda or this conspiracy knows they're a part of it. It's very compartmentalized, certainly those at the top tier know and many of those down the line, but uh, it is certainly the case that many are involved in this unwittingly without even realizing whose ultimate agenda they are advancing. So we're continuing this series uh, today on uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, and I want to start by again laying the foundation of uh, the scriptural basis for this study, and that comes from 1 John chapter 4, where again we're reminded that the Spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. We know biblically, and we established this in a previous video, that uh, the Antichrist, capital A, is coming. And uh, for a seven-year period, he's going to rule the world in his reign of terror. And uh, this is going to be the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel's famous 70 weeks prophecy, or 490-year prophecy. The first 483 years of that have already been fulfilled. And that final seven-year period will take place right before Christ's coming. Jesus himself even talked about Daniel by name, referencing back to the midpoint of that seven-year period when the Antichrist sets himself up as God in the temple in Jerusalem and demands that everybody worship him, an event called the Abomination of Desolation. Both Daniel and Jesus talk about that event. So that Antichrist is coming, but the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world as Satan prepares in this cosmic struggle for the final battle that will culminate in the Battle of Armageddon. And uh, we also look at 1 John chapter 2 where he reminds us that many antichrists have come. Now remember 1 John chapter 2, uh, this is from the late 90s. The epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were all written in the say mid uh, at the earliest uh, to late 90s uh, AD. So if many antichrists had already come then, just imagine what we're dealing with in terms of Satan's sphere on earth today, 2,000 years later. The Apostle Paul, in one of his earlier epistles, would say this, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So again, these are passages that we often skip right over, those of us that are biblical Christians, but the fact of the matter is, uh, there is an enemy out there that is doing everything he can to counteract God's plan. Now we know who wins in the end, We've read the rest of the story, uh, but uh, in the interim, there's a struggle going on, and God's Word calls us to be prepared, and it also calls us to walk in the truth, and so we need to be aware of this spirit or this lawlessness that is already at work. In fact, Paul, in one of his latter epistles, 
uh, would say this in the late 60s or early 60s rather AD that the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit there, expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. And uh, we again read over that thinking that this is talking simply about doctrinal impurities and people getting out of the Word and teaching heresies. That's part of it, but notice what he says in clarifying that these people will be those who give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Who are they? Well, we talked about this in a previous video. They are Satan's demons, one-third of the angels that fell with him from heaven and now constitute his invisible army, as it were. And again, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says, In the last days, perilous times will come. So that's the basis for this study, the spirit of the Antichrist. We need to be aware of it. We need to study the whole counsel of God and understand what is happening rather than just sort of blindly going along and uh, not being prepared, as Proverbs 22.3 warns us. So in this series, Spirit of the Antichrist, we're looking at seven manifestations, seven ways in which in our present age, today, the Spirit of the Antichrist is manifesting itself. Well, how do we know that? Well, we look at the biblical teaching on the Antichrist and the things that he and his regime with the false prophet and others will be doing during that seven-year period, and we see if those types of things are occurring today, setting the stage for that. So again, we're not predicting when the rapture is going to happen or when the end of the world is going to come. But I got to tell you, as we look at the setting of the stage all around us, it certainly seems as though it's getting uh, very, very close. And uh, I would not be surprised. I'll just be honest with you. And I used to never say things like this, but the more I survey the landscape, I have to be honest, I cannot imagine uh, the Lord not coming back in my lifetime. Now, I know people have said that for centuries, but we have the benefit of hindsight and we can look down through the annals of history and we can compare today the type of technological advances, the type of capabilities as Satan attacks God, the creator of the universe, on all fronts, and we can see that everything that the Bible talks about happening could actually certainly happen now if, if this was God's timetable. Uh, for example, uh, you know, there, we talked about last week a 200 million uh, man army in, in the book of Revelation in chapter 8 um, and how, or chapter 9 I believe it was, and how that is going to be a part of this end time seven year period. Well, in bygone years you couldn't even imagine such a thing, but of course now we can. Uh, so we're looking at these manifestations and uh, I've chosen seven broad categories to examine in this series pretense, phenomena, pride, power, persecution, perversion, and pluralism. And we've been camped out here for these last nine weeks in the first one, pretense. And the reason for that is, and the reason I chose it first, is because the underlying premise of this whole series is the gathering cloud of deception. That's the subtitle for the series. And so deception, pretense, obviously is going to be one of the most significant manifestations of uh, this rise of the Antichrist. Uh, but there are others, and we will get to those uh, soon. But why have we spent so much time on pretense? I want to drive this home point, uh, this point home, that deception is getting worse and worse. We've talked about it frequently. Um, many of us, most of us, in fact, have been deceived in one way or another about some truth. Uh, my goal is to expose you to the truth so that perhaps you'll, you'll kind of go, hmm, um, there, there's so much that I've been deceived about. And then it will drive you to the Word of God 
for the truth about this great last day's deception that the Bible talks about and Satan's new world order agenda. Remember, he who sees trouble coming prepares for it, and he who ignores it is clobbered. So, of course, we could ignore all of this. We could ignore one-third of the Bible that deals with end times prophecy and pretend like it's not there and just talk about how to be fat, dumb, and happy today and spirit-filled and all of those things that are important parts of the sanctification process and the Christian walk and so forth. But again, we've got to preach the whole counsel of God. So by looking at the spirit of pretense that is all around us, we are preparing. We are obeying the command of Scripture, the principle of Scripture found in Proverbs 22.3. Knowledge is power. Ignorance is bliss. And bliss can be very dangerous in these latter days. And, you know, if knowing this stuff makes you uncomfortable, then stop watching. Um, you know, we've got a ton of uh, information and theological information over 32 years of ministry at the Not By Works website. And whatever your passion biblically and theologically is, chances are we've got some resources there available for you to dig a little deeper. Uh, so you don't have to study this. You can live in non-reality. That's a comfortable place to live. I lived there up in my whole life until 15 years ago. Uh, you can turn off the TV. You can watch, uh, you know, turn on the TV rather and watch Tucker Carlson, right? You can enjoy the show. Uh, but I just believe that their time is urgent and that Satan has conquered just about every front he could conquer in terms of life and language and gender and just the very image of God in man is under attack. And it just seems like we are hurtling at warp speed toward the New World Order. And the New World Order is not a conspiracy term that people just made up. It's an actual term used extensively throughout the literature of the Luciferians to describe what they are headed for. Now the Bible doesn't use that term, but the Bible describes a New World Order under Satan's regime. It's a one world government where all of the economics, the politics, uh, everything is controlled, centrally controlled by one man under the power of Satan, and that man is called the Antichrist. So we're talking about pretense, and we have a reason uh, to be uh, doing that. Let me give you a review so far, and if you're kind of just jumping into the series, maybe this will uh, pique your interest to go back and look at some of uh, the other videos in this series. We started out by just a general introduction to the end times and the Antichrist's role in the end times. And we talked about how he is conspiring with angels and demons. And then we diagrammed and explained in more detail the Luciferian conspiracy and what that looks like and who's involved in it. And then we got into point number one on the seven points that we're going to look at in this series, the spirit of pretense. And that's where we've been. And uh, today is going to be the final sort of examination, although we could, we could go on for weeks talking about manifestations of the spirit of pretense. Uh, but today is going to be the final one uh, on that topic. And then next week I'm going to close out the spirit of pretense by going to Scripture and saying, how can we guard against deception? How can we, in the next video, I don't know if it will be next week, sometimes I do two of these a week, but in the next video we're going to be looking at how do we respond to this spirit of pretense, and then you know, we'll move on to the spirit of phenomena. So uh, in, the, in this subject of the spirit of the pretense, we've looked at the state-run media, the false left-right paradigm, the fake news censorship, uh, Hegelian dialectic, geoengineering and weather warfare, and then in the last video we discussed vaccines and big pharma, and the role that all of those together play in helping to keep us blinded to reality 
as Satan moves forward in his agenda. Today we're going to talk about false flags, eugenics, and other government lies. And so, lies, pretense, again, the coming of the lawless one is according to all, according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now we're going to talk about signs and power in some of the future uh, presentations in this series. But right now we're focusing on his deception, his lying wonders. Again, in, in verse 10, with all unrighteous deception, Satan, during that future uh, seven-year period, is going to use the Antichrist to propagate a massive global worldwide deception. And he's setting the stage for it now in a conspiracy that involves himself at the tip of the spear, demons, and also human agents that are conspiring with him. So we recognize, or should if you study the Word of God, that we are not in a physical battle, we're in a spiritual battle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. And so it, it serves us well to become familiar with this battle. And of course, it's all part of the Word of God, and we want to study the entire Word of God and connect the dots. You know, we live in a culture, Christianity, at least in the West, that is very prone to soundbite theology. Just proof texting here or there, putting it on a bumper sticker or a, a you know, a meme or tweeting it out without recognizing how the whole picture fits together. But the Bible tells us a plan that goes from the fall of man, from creation in Genesis to the fall, all the way to recreation and redemption in the new heavens and the new earth. It's one cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, we need to understand how the pieces fit together. So we're asking if you have been deceived. And as we talk today about false flags and those types of things, it would be well to remember uh, something we talked about before just briefly, that God is not an American. God is not an American. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Psalm 33. This is uh, most likely a Davidic psalm written by King David, although in the biblical original Hebrew it, it's anonymous, but the Greek translation of the Hebrew text uh, that came along about 285 years or so before Christ did attribute it to David, so it's quite possible that he did. Plus, the surrounding psalms uh, in this section of the Bible are, are definitely written by David. But regardless of the author, the occasion for this psalm was some kind of national victory for Israel in the midst of a crisis. They won a victory. And the psalmist appealed to the righteous to praise God in light of who He is and what He has done. And notice here in verses 8 and 9, he reminds us that since by His word God created the entire world... Everyone should reverence Him, for nothing is too hard for Him. And notice how the focus is broader than just on the mere national crisis that they had just come through. God is bigger than any one nation. He said, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. He didn't just say, let the Israelites. This was a recognition that God is in charge of the entire globe, right? He goes on in verses 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. In other words, God's Word determines what has happened in history since creation. And what the Lord says takes place regardless of the plans of the people and the nations. And notice the reference there to the plural nations. So we need to recognize that as we see both biblical truth 
and then lay it over the, the contemporary events that are happening and try to interpret it, uh, we need to do so from a broader perspective than simply the Western American mindset. And if we recognize that God is not an American, then of course it follows that God is not a Republican either. You know, I've talked about this at length, and you know, I just mentioned yes, uh, last time we, the last video, that we've got to break free from this false, fake, right uh, paradigm. Uh, you know, the, the Democrats and the Republicrats, uh, they're, they're all part of the same team. Wasn't always that way, but since the establishment of the two-party system, it's been that way. They've, they've funneled us into, you know, this mindset that it's Coke or Pepsi, A or B. Those are the only options. It wasn't always that way. In fact, it, it might surprise you to know that Abraham Lincoln, the, no, no less than the famous Abraham Lincoln, who many uh, assume to be the greatest president ever. Now, if you really read the true history behind him, there's a lot more to that story that I don't have time to get into. But Abraham Lincoln... Of all the presidents to date, up to President Donald Trump, he won the election with the fewest amount of the popular vote in history. Only 38% of Americans voted for Abraham Lincoln. 38%. And yet he won. Why? Because we had multiple candidates. Five, four, five, six candidates. And of all of them, he got the most votes. But over the years, they, the, the Luciferians that control things and are pulling the strings has created, and we know about this because Carol Quigley talked about it in his uh, book, Tragedy and Hope. I've gone into that in a previous video. But this is all by design to get the people thinking they only have two choices. And so now here we are in 2020, and, and we have a situation where the only two options, I mean, think about it, 335 million people in the world. And the best we can do to be the leader of our country is a, is a wacko, and I'm sorry, I know this is going to offend everybody, but I'm going to pick on both sides, so I'm an equal opportunity offender. But, you know, a wacko, you know, game show host, you know, um, reality show guy that made billions of dollars in the porn and gambling industry uh, and admits to having multiple affairs and paying people off. And on the other side, a, a life, and by the way, who had never been elected to public office, <laughs> so he's on the job training as the pre leader of the free world. And then on the other side, a guy who is, can hardly put two sentences together. He's a, you know, been in office 47 years in some type of elective office, deeply embedded into the establishment. And that's the best we can do. I mean, I mean really, uh, they just had one of the first debates in this upcoming uh, election. And I, I love what one uh, person said, you know, uh, after watching Chris Wallace moderate this debate, uh, we certainly understand now why kindergarten teachers are underpaid. <laughs> I mean, it's just laughable. It's embarrassing. It's not one of my prouder moments as an American, frankly. And yet, why? Why is it like that? Because we've been told that you only get two choices. And even if both choices are absolutely bottom of the barrel, you know, evil, people say, well, lesser of two evils. So I, I prefer to choose no evil, no, nothing, you know, personal. But, you know, if, if both options are evil, how about you pick neither? That That's my... Uh, viewpoint. So God is not an American. God is not a, a Republican. It really doesn't matter which candidate wins the White House. It might alter the game, hand, game plan you know, slightly, but the overall goal and trajectory remains the same. And that's because the real leaders of this country and of the world are a Luciferian oligarchy. Did you know that one-tenth of one percent, one-tenth of one percent of Americans have more wealth than 90% of America. 
Three single Americans have more wealth than 50% of Americans. Three people. Eight people globally in the world, six of whom are Americans, have more wealth than 50% of people in the world. See, we've got to take off our USA glasses and see the world through the lens of Scripture. And when you look at history through the lens of the Bible, rather than through simply national history, which is only 244 years old in the grand scheme of things, you begin to understand that there's something bigger at play. So how should we as citizens interact with our government? Well, I've talked about previously in another series that I did, God's priority of relationships. If you go back to creation in Genesis chapter chapters 1 through 11, you see that God has established three institutions to control life. The family, the civil government, and in our present day, after the church was established in Acts chapter 2, the church, right? Three institutions, the family, the government, and the church. And if we look at the priority of our relationships within this world, the way creation unfolds is very instructive. First of all, the number one priority is man and God. God created Adam, and it was just God and Adam for a period of time. That's the number one priority. Then Eve comes along, and the second priority is husband-wife. And any husband or wife that puts their spouse ahead of God in that relationship, it's going to be an unhealthy marriage and an unhealthy relationship. And then what happened later? Children came along. So the third priority, not the first, not the second, is parent-child. The reason so many families are struggling, so many marriages are struggling, is because they put the priority of their children above each other. And of course, in many families, they put each other and children above God. But we've got to keep the order of relationships in mind. Man, God, husband, wife, parent, child. And then along comes government. And the, the last on this list, worth noting, is citizen government. And yet many people worship the government as if it's our priority. We need to be self-sufficient. We need to think for ourselves. We need to recognize that the government is not God, right? Would the U.S. government, admittedly, the, you know, this country has been the greatest country in the history of the world in terms of advancing the Christian faith and the freedoms that we've had to share the gospel, but would it ever lie to its own citizens? Well, let's take a look. Uh, false flag operations are commonly taught in the American War College. Uh, two primary things that, uh, that relate to each other that are taught, false flag operations and stand-down operations. And uh, these are very common. They've been used throughout uh, history. And what is a false flag operation? Well, it's when a government, and it's not just an American thing, by the way. Uh, this has been done going back into the prehistoric times, uh, back into, you know, uh, early days before the modern times, I should say, uh, when, when a government needs to rally support to attack another enemy, whoever that may be. And so what they do is they fake an attack on itself by this other enemy and blame it on them. And then the people are all like, oh, boo, hiss, we've got to go get that enemy. Look what they did to us. And the government says, oh, really? Great. I agree. Let's go get them. It's a false flag. It gets its name from, you know, ships flying the enemy flag on their ship, taking down their flag, putting the enemy flag up, and then firing on one of their other ships so that it looks like the enemy did it. And then they can say, look, the enemy attacked us. But really, they just attacked themselves. So we've got lots of examples of that, many false flag operations throughout history. And many have been 
uh, declassified. For example, the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Now, some of you older uh, folks uh, in the uh, audience will recognize this very well. But that's what led us into the Vietnam War, resulting in the death of some 58,000 uh, U.S. servicemen and women. The Gulf of Tonkin, uh, also known as the USS Maddox incident. It was August 4th, 1964. Uh, it involved two separate confrontations involving North Vietnam and the United States in the water, waters of the Gulf of Tonkin. And the, uh, the original American report blamed the North Vietnamese for both incidents. Both incidents, but in 2014, 50 years after the incident, the whole thing was declassified and documents showed that the entire thing was made up. Hear me on that. You can look this up. It did not happen. It was a false flag. And as a result, uh, we have 58,000 deaths. Operation Gladio is the code name for a clandestine NATO, sort of a stay-behind operation uh, during the Cold War. And the Central Intelligence Agency kind of led the way in Gladio, and, and they had activities creating terrorist attacks all throughout Europe, and in particular in Italy. This is well documented. And they would, they would actually conduct these terrorist activities, and then it would be blamed on terrorist act, act, you know, uh, agencies, and it would foment war. COINTELPRO in our own country is an organization that is led by the FBI. Now, they claim that it ended years ago, but it's clearly still going on. But they would infiltrate certain political and activist organizations with paid personnel from the FBI. And they would you know, target individuals, target movements and groups, things like the anti-Vietnam War protesters, civil rights movements, black power movements, feminist movement, uh, all kinds of uh, things to try to stir up dissent. White supremacist groups. Ku Klux Klan groups, and so forth. And it was kept secret until 1971, and then they were caught red-handed by the church uh, committee. And, uh, and, you know, they said, okay, well, we'll stop. Sorry, we, we didn't mean. So all these things that you see on the news even recently, the flare-ups and Black Lives Matter and things like that, those are all orchestrated. And it's not just George Soros doing it, okay? It's our government doing it. All right. I know that the mainstream right-left paradigm tells you that it's the bad guys on CNN that are doing it, but that, that's much, much bigger than that. And this is documented. Um, you know, these false flags are nothing new. You see on the screen there the USS Maine. That's what led to the Spanish-American War in uh, 1898. The USS Maine arrived in Havana Harbor on January 25, 1898 to protect U.S. interests and civilians uh, during pro-Spanish rioting in Havana. And this had a calming effect on the riots. Uh, but, you know, the U.S. couldn't have that. They, they love war, right? So on February 15th, the forward hull of the Maine exploded in a devastating blast, and it sunk. 266 of the 355 sailors were killed. Well, the papers of Rand William Randolph Hearst and Pulitzer wasted no time in casting the blame on the Spanish, and they sounded the alarm to go to war. We've got to get them, you know. Um, Remember the Maine, too, we'll say, heck with Spain, was what the headlines all read. Well, newspaper mogul William Randolph Hearst was heavily involved in the conspiracy to get the U.S. into the war. One of his employees was a famed illustrator, Frederick Remington. And Hearst sent Remington to Cuba to report on what was happening there. And Remington uh, kind of became very bored by the lack of anything newsworthy happening. It was kind of no big deal. And he sent a cable back to Hearst that said, 
everything quiet, period. There is no trouble here, period. There will be no war, period. Wish to return, period. And in response to Remington's message, Hearst replied famously, Please remain. You furnish the pictures and I'll furnish the war. It was a false flag. It was a false flag. And we could talk of manufactured terrorists uh, on and on and on, that terrorism that has happened many, many times. But uh, Nazi war criminal Hermann Goering said this, The people can always be brought to do the bidding of the leaders, tell them they are being attacked, and denounce the peacemakers for a lack of patriotism. You know, you're either for us or you're for our adversaries. You know, we've got to go dominate the Middle East. You know, and if you don't go along and agree, you're a coward. You know, we see that happening today. I talked about this a couple of sessions ago with the COVID crisis. If you don't take the vaccine, you're a coward. You're not a patriot. That's what's being said out there. Uh, so this is right out of Gehring's playbook. Um, Tell them they're being attacked and denounce the peacemakers for a lack of patriotism. He goes on, it is the leaders of the country who determine the policy, and it is always a simple matter to drag the people along. Notice he says whether it's a democracy, a fascist dictatorship, a parliament, a communist, it doesn't matter. Voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to do the bidding of the leaders. And they say, oh, that's, you know, those are those evil Nazis. You know, we're, we're not like that now. I mean, this is America, and Apparently, depravity stopped at the shores of America, right? Well, listen, last time I looked, America was made up of Americans, and Americans are human beings, and human beings are depraved. And to think that somehow Washington, D.C. would be a tyranny-free zone and nobody in power would ever do anything bad like that is simply naive. Um, I mean, you have to look no further than Operation Northwoods, uh, completely admitted, open case from our U.S. government, declassified documents. 1962, the American Joint Chiefs of Staff signed off on a plan, listen, to blow up American commercial airlines, airline, airplanes and, com and commit other terrorist acts on American soil and then blame it on the Cubans in order to get the American public to support an invasion of Cuba. You heard that right. This is not a fact and dispute. You can see the ABC News report when this uh, came out and was declassified. They did a big documentary on it. You can look at the official documents online with the uh, uh, General Nemlitzer's uh, signature. Uh, you can watch the interview with a former Washington investigative producer for ABC New World News, World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. It's on YouTube. Well, fortunately, President Kennedy refused to sign off on that plan that had been drawn up and approved by General Lemnitzer, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So if you think that somehow our government would never hurt its own citizens or that, you know, and when I say our government, I mean bad apples within the government. I mean, our government is, in principle, stands for liberty and freedom and all of the things that we read in our Constitution. But in reality, it's not always the case. So if you want to look at the history of uh, state-sponsored evil and uh, deception, you could look at the eugenics, the history of eugenics in our country. And notice here the quote, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but by Francis, Sir Francis Galton. He was uh, Darwin's cousin, Charles Darwin's cousin. And notice he says, eugenics is the study of all of the agencies under social control. In other words, by any means. 
we're going to accomplish this goal. There were eugenics offices in every town of any size across the U.S. in the early part of the last century. What is eugenics? Well, it's the, essentially the outgrowth of Darwin's ethic that says we've got to get rid of all the people we don't like that don't look like us or that have illnesses or ailments or disabilities, and we've got to wipe them off the face of the earth. And that's been the Luciferians' goal from the beginning. They want to have this earth to themselves. They want to you know, get the population down to 500 million. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second. But obviously, one of the early leading uh, eugenicists uh, was... Uh, here's another pamphlet, by the way, that states eugenics is the self-direction of human evolution. The self-direction of human evolution. So again, Dalton... Galton, rather, is the one who created this, this science, so-called science of eugenics, but he did it based on Dar the Darwinian ethic, his cousin. Uh, but the self-direction of human evolution, we want to, people to evolve to get rid of all of the people of color and so forth. Now, as I was about to mention, uh, Margaret Sanger, of course, was one of the early, well-known, uh, highly influential eugenicists in our country. She founded the American Birth Control League and. 1921, now known as Planned Parenthood. At a March 1925 international birth control gathering in New York City, one of the speakers warned of the menace posed by the, quote, black and, quote, yellow peril. The man was not a Nazi or a Klansman. He was Dr. S. Adolf Knopf, a member of Margaret Sanger's American Birth Control League. Margaret Sanger herself spoke of sterilizing those that she designated as unfit, quote, unquote. A plan, she said, would be the, quote, salvation of American civilization, unquote. And she also spoke of those who were, quote, irresponsible and reckless, among whom she included those, quote, whose religious scruples prevent their exercising control over their numbers, end quote. See, anybody who has moral values and you don't want to do things like, for example, inject yourself with aborted fetus parts, which is what you're doing when you get a vaccine, the flu vaccine, that's what you're doing. Uh, you, you, you can't, you, you, they don't want you here because you might breed and raise up your children in a godly biblical worldview to, to value the Word of God and look to it as your only standard of beliefs, and they don't want that. She further contended that, quote, there is no doubt in the minds of all thinking people that the procreation of this group should be stopped. Sanger considered Americans of African origin particularly unfit. She said in her book, Woman and the New Race, quote, We do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. She said in that, in, uh, that same book, um, birth control itself, often denounced as a violation of natural law, is nothing more than the facilitation of the process, again, aiding human, human evolution, the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit of preventing the birth of defectives or of those who will become defective. Notice that, she said. Not just the people that have, you know, a, a deformed leg or something. It's people that we think might become unfit mentally or otherwise. She said, quote, the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its members is to kill it. End quote. And then in one of their documents uh, that they put out, she said, quote, remember our motto. If we must have welfare, give it to the rich, not the poor. 
we are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. You think eugenicism is a thing of the past? Well, think again. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has an Office of Population Affairs. You probably didn't know that, did you? What is their purpose? Well, you can read it right from the hhs.gov website. OPA, Office of Population Affairs, advises the Secretary and Assistant Secretary for Health on a wide range of reproductive and adolescent health topics, including teen pregnancy prevention, family planning, and, st and sterilization, as well as other population issues. I mean, this is not a thing of the past. At a secret meeting of billionaires in New York City in 2009 that leaked out and was then covered by Good Morning America, Forbes magazine, and many other mainstream print and TV news media outlets, uh, they got together to talk about how to depopulate the earth. And the people involved, you see them there on the screen left to right, Bill Gates, Ted Turner, George Soros, David Rockefeller, Michael Bloomberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Warren Buffett. Uh, it was held at the personal residence of Sir Paul Nurse, who was at that time president of Rockefeller University. The invitations to this secret invitation-only private meeting that leaked out were sent out by Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and David Rockefeller. And in the invitation, they stated their purpose. What is the purpose of this meeting? To consider how we can use our wealth to slow the growth of the world's uh, population. I want to show you a short clip, it's only about a minute long, in which Bill Gates responds to the question, does keeping children alive create a population growth problem? Does keeping children alive create a population growth problem? Why? In this year's annual letter, Melinda and I take the toughest questions we get asked and give our answers. One that's come up for a long time is, as we make the world healthier, is the population going to get so big that feeding everybody and maintaining the environment is going to be impossible? Here we can see a chart that looks at the total world population over the last several hundred years. And at first glance, this is a bit scary. We go from less than a billion in 1800, and then three, four, five, six, and 7.4 billion where we are today is happening even faster. So Melinda and I wondered whether providing new medicines and keeping children alive, would that create more of a population problem? So you can see uh, how Clearly, Bill Gates is leading the way, and this is well documented in this notion of depopulating the earth. In fact, this is the same Bill Gates who said on another occasion, uh, quote, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we could lower the population growth by as much as 10 to 15 percent. Lower? I mean, I thought vaccines helped keep children alive. Well, if you watch the previous video in this series, Spirit of the Antichrist, you'll see that that is not at all the real agenda. See, what Christians need to understand is that when we talk about the sanctity of life, we're not just talking about abortion. We're not even just talking about euthanasia. Once you determine that life is not sacred, if you are worshiping Satan 
and not God, the God of creation, who gives life, then human life at any age becomes expendable for any reason. Population control, choice, convenience, tough circumstances, you name it. But we need to remember this when we consider the biblical doctrine of the sanctity of, of life. It's not just a, about abortion. It's about those congressmen, senators, and presidents who support big pharma and mandate dangerous vaccines, even though they're not aware of the true agenda behind them, and even though they're made with tissue from aborted fetuses. See, the Bible says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God is the giver of life, and it's not man's place to determine how or when life begins or how or when life ends. So going back to Darwin and Hitler and this notion of social Darwinism, eugenics is just simply the outgrowth of, of Darwinism. It's called social Darwinism. I mean, why do you think the Rockefeller Foundation and the Carnegie Foundation and others demanded that evolution be taught to every child in America when they launched compulsory government schooling? Yes, that's right, compulsory government schooling was started by and initiated by and funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. And then 30 years later, when all those Nazi eugenicists came over to the U.S. in Operation Paperclip, more than 1,600 of them, by the way, do you think they changed their worldview? Do you think Nazis, you know, with their Darwinian ethic came over here and then jumped into America where everybody loves life and then converted? No. Why do you think we brought them over here in the first place? The elite, the ones who made the deal. We'll talk about Operation Paperclip a little bit more in a moment. But in Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, but a lot of people don't realize the subtitle of the book is The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. You can look it up on Amazon right now. We call it Origin of the Species because that's a little more palatable. Um, but the real purpose of the book is to talk about the preservation of the favored races in the struggle for life. In his companion book, The Descent of Man, that was published in 1871, Darwin writes that most people are evolutionary dead ends and only a small elite is actually evolving and everyone else just gets in the way. Perhaps that's the reason that the mysterious Georgia Guidestones in a, a field outside of Atlanta in Elbert County, Georgia, uh, states quite plainly that the goal is to get the population down to 500 million. We don't know who put this up. Uh, we've actually been there and seen it and taken pictures. You could drive, or you used to be able to drive right up to it. Uh, a lot of people think it might have been eugenicist Ted Turner that funded it and put it up. The guy who did it won't say. Uh, but one of their chief planks in the Ten Commandments of the global elite is, number one, to maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Number two, guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Number three, unite humanity with a living new language. Uh, you know, those types of, uh, of things. Um, you know, avoid petty laws and useful officials and let all nations uh, rule internally, but resolving external disputes by a world court. It's a one world government. That's what they're talking about, a world court. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. That's what they say. So there are plenty of examples of where the eugenicist model and this uh, great last day's deception as it relates to their attempt to depopulate the earth have played out. We could think, for example, of the U.S. Public Health Service 
uh, conducting the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, going all the way back to 1932, where a total of 600 African-American men were chosen to be involved in the study, 399 with syphilis and 201 without. Those with syphilis were denied proper treatment for the disease, and the government wanted to ensure that they were able to track its progression and see what it led. They were basically guinea pigs. They were told they were getting treated, but they, they lied to them. They didn't give them treatment. Or we could go to the Stateville Penitentiary Malaria Study in the 1940s, conducted by the U.S. government. 400 prisoners were illegally infected with malaria so that they could study them. Or the Navy-sponsored beef blood transfusions. Have you heard about this? Edward Kahn, a biochemist working at Harvard University, conducted an experiment in 1942 that was sponsored and paid for by the U.S. Navy. The Navy had contacted Kahn to engage in this secret project to discover a possible biological weapon. And his work involved injecting prisoners with cow blood. Sixty-four subjects were injected with cow blood and suffered catastrophic effects ending in death. Or we could think of the plutonium testing in the mid-1940s or the World War II gas experiments. Or maybe you've seen this video from July 19, 1957. Five Air Force officers and one photographer stood together on a patch of ground about 65 miles northwest of Las Vegas. They called the spot Ground Zero with a little handmade, hand-lettered sign that they hammered into the ground. And as they watch, and you can watch the video of this, they, the, the, the Air Force actually recorded it. Uh, two F-89 jets roar into view and they shoot off a nuclear missile right over them carrying an atomic warhead. They even have a countdown. And you see one of them, of course he's wearing sunglasses, so I'm sure he survived, uh, looking right up as it explodes. Or, as I mentioned, Operation Paperclip, the U.S raced against the Soviet Union to attain as many Nazi scientists as possible after World War II. They paid Nazi scientists to work for the government, providing them with immunity from prosecution for their offenses, their war crimes during World War II. And so they were able to escape execution. Uh, they, they employed up to 1,600 Nazis up through 1990, Operation uh, Paperclip. And uh, again, it started in early 1945. Um, you know, they... They went to work for the U.S. Army or for NASA or even for high, you know, level had got high-level jobs in private, so-called private companies like GE and Bell Laboratories. Many Nazis were so well known that Alan Dulles flew them after the war to Argentina instead of the U.S. because you know they were so well known that they would have, you know, caused a, an even greater outcry than it did. So men like Nazi Major General Walton Dornberger was taken captive in April of 1945. He's the one who oversaw the creation and manufacture of the V-2 guided missile, which killed over 5,000 British civilians during World War II. 5,000 people. So what do you do with a guy who kills over 5,000 innocent citizens? Well, you give him a reward and make him the CEO of Bell Laboratories in the United States and a multimillionaire. Uh, Hitler once said to Dornberger on July 8, 1944, of course, before he was captured. This is Hitler speaking to Dornberger. Quote, I have had to apologize to only two men in my whole life. The first was Field Marshal von Brauschitz. I did not listen to him when he told me again and again how important your research was. And the second man is yourself. I never believed that your work would be successful, but it was. So Adolf Hitler apologizing to Dornberger because he proved to be a very valuable scientist and engineer in the war, killing thousands of people. 
And then, you know, what, what do you do with Nazis? Why, of course, you celebrate them and put them on the cover of Time magazine, like Nazi SS member Warner Van Braun. Operation Paperclip. The Nazis didn't lose the war. They just moved to America. Would the U.S. government ever lie to its own citizens? We could go on and on. And for many of you, this, you know, you say, oh, this is just all just coincidence. You know, hundreds of isolated bad decisions by a few bad apples. Yet if you take a closer look behind the curtain, I know that's a scary thought, you find out these are not coincidences, they're conspiracies that land ultimately at the feet of Satan's earthly co-conspirators, such as Operation Sea Spray in 1950, September, when the U.S. Army held a secretive experiment to test the possibility of biological warfare near the West Coast. They released biological weapons into the streets of San Francisco, unknowingly to its citizens, to test its effects. Or Operation Big Buzz, 1955. The government released millions of mosquitoes carrying yellow fever into Georgia parks, the state of Georgia. And they quickly dispersed into the suburbs. And, you know, the, the government wanted to know what the effect would be, right? We're all just a big laboratory. Uh, you know, as President FDR, I think, once said, I'm pretty sure this is the quote, uh, that we're all just extras in somebody else's play. That's the way the elite think of us. Big Buzz was um, you know, just one of many of this type of experiment. There was Operation Dropkick and Operation Big Itch. Not the most creative name for what they were doing. Uh, Dropkick is very similar in that it tested mosquitoes in Georgia like Operation Big Buzz did. Operation Big Itch involved the government releasing fleas into the public to study their biting and travel habits. It was meant to determine the effectiveness of fleas in spreading diseases as a biological weapon against foreign nations. And then, of course, there's the measles vaccine experiment um, that were conducted from 1990 to 1991 by the CDC. Doctors wanted to know if they could use it to replace natural antibodies in babies. So they injected thousands of babies in, the, in third world countries with the drug, and it led to several immune problems. And... Um, they injected more than 1,500 babies in the United States, uh, African-American and Hispanic babies in Los Angeles. Um, the CDC later admitted in court that the parents were completely unaware that their children were being used as guinea pigs. Um, one of the saddest ones is the Willowbrook experiments from 1956 to 1970. This just breaks your heart. Um, Subjects were taken from Willowbrook State School in Staten Island, New York. They were mentally handicapped children. Uh, they were children unable to provide consent, and they would often die from treatment. A series of tests involved injecting the children with experimental drugs in an effort to, quote, cure hepatitis. Hepatitis was rampant in the school, but those who didn't already have it were also infected, so they could have kind of a control group and, and carry out these experiments. I've mentioned in the past CIA's MK Ultra mind control program. Uh, I would just encourage you uh, to, to, to look that up and, and do some more research into things like Operation Midnight Climax or Operation Monarch or Operation Bluebird or Operation Artichoke. I mean, these are well-documented activities. Uh, the, uh, Time Magazine's done stories on them and others. Uh, look up Kathy O'Brien, Kathy with a C. She's a key whistleblower about MK Ultra. 
And then, of course, there's always uh, fluoride. <laughs> you know, fluoride chemicals are added to over 65% of U.S. water supplies. It's actually coming down now that this has been exposed. But the alleged reason is to treat, help treat uh, people for tooth decay and help prevent tooth decay. But studies have shown that fluoridation is completely ineffective, health-robbing, and it wastes taxpayer dollars. Scientific evidence shows that fluoride is not safe to ingest, and areas that fluoridate their drinking water supplies have higher rates, actually, of cavities, but not only that, of cancer, uh, dental fluorosis, osteoporosis, and other health problems. Because of the push from the aluminum industry and pharmaceutical companies and weapons manufacturers, fluoride continues to be added to water supplies all over North America. Well, how did, it, how did this come about? Well, at the end of World War II, the U.S. government sent Charles Elliott Perkins, a research worker in chemistry, biochemistry, and physiology and pathology, to take charge of the vast Farben chemical plants in Germany. The German chemists told Perkins of a scheme which they had devised during the war and had been adapted by the German general staff. General chemist explained, a German chemist explained that uh, the, 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 their attempts to mass medicate the population in any given area through the drinking water by adding sodium fluoride. Uh, so, you know, they, they would turn these prisoners of war camps, they would make the people there, they would drink the fluoride, and they would become, in their words, quote, stupid and docile. Uh, they developed plans to, uh, to fluoridate people in co uh, countries, nations that they occupied during the war. Fluoride remains one of the strongest antipsychotic substances known and is contained in 25% of major tranquilizers. It may not seem surprising that Hitler's regime practiced this concept of mind control through chemical means, but the American military continued this Nazi research. Think Operation Paperclipping, exploring capabilities uh, so that they could you know, medicate an entire enemy nation. As stated in the Rockefeller Report, a presidential briefing on CIA activities in 1995, the drug problem was part of a much larger CIA program to study possible means of controlling human behavior. The dental cavities prevention myth associated with fluoride originated in the United States in 1939 when a scientist named General J. Cox, employed by Alcoa, American Aluminum, uh, the largest uh, producer of toxic fluoride waste at the time, uh, and it was being threatened by fluoride damage control, uh, claims. And so uh, in 1947, Oscar R. Ewing, a longtime Alcoa lawyer, was appointed to head of the Federal Security Agency, which gave him uh, oversight of the Public Health Service, the PHS. And over the next three years, 87 new American cities began fluoridating their water. What a great coincidence. We've got all this waste from manufacturing aluminum. What do we do with it? Well, we're just going to tell you it's a medicine and put it in your toothpaste. They had the American Education Research Fund that was used to tell people how good this is for you. But as EP, former EPA scientist Robert Carlton has said, fluoridation is the greatest case of scientific fraud of this century. But honestly, you don't even really have to dig very deep to research this. Just go home, pull out your toothpaste, and look at the label. So, uh, for example, it clearly states that it contains 0.24% uh, you know, sodium fluoride, <laughs> which is a poison. And it says, keep out of reach of children under six years of age. If more than used for brushing is accidentally swallowed, get medical help or contact poison control right away. I mean, this is serious stuff. Now, how much is a normal amount to be used? Well, it says, to minimize swallowing, use a pea-sized amount. Go home, look it up. 
a pea-sized amount. And then it goes on to say, warning, keep out of reach of children. If you accidentally swallow more than this pea-sized amount, seek professional help or contact poison control immediately. Now, what's a pea-sized amount? Well, a pea-sized amount of toothpaste has 0.5 milligrams of fluoride, the same as one to two glasses of fluoridated drinking water. So on the one hand, call poison control immediately if you ingest that much fluoride. On the other hand, you're, we're, we're filling your public utilities water with it and encouraging you to drink eight glasses a day. Have you been deceived? Have you been deceived? Well, we have. We have, but we know the truth. And uh, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And next week, we're going to close out this first section of the spirit of pretense by talking about how we can guard against the spirit of deception. Thanks for watching. I hope you'll go back and watch uh, the previous videos in this series and continue watching uh, this series as we do more over the coming weeks.